Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today in the book of Romans called Lifestyle of the Gospel. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans 13, 1 to 7, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled Citizens of Two Kingdoms, Part 2. Not long ago, in a conversation with a non-Christian man who, who was somewhat sympathetic to the Christian faith, well, this man challenged me on this. He said, Christians should be in the front line of bringing tyrannical regimes to the ground. After all, he said, Christianity played a major role in bringing down communism in the Eastern European world, and it should play a similar role in other dictatorial regimes. You know, I reminded him that, for instance, in Romania, Christianity did play a major role in ending the brutal regime of, of Nicolae Ceausescu, but that was not the aim of the Christian faith. In the case of Romania, Christians simply surrounded a church in the city of Timisoara, and then in an act that prevented authorities from arresting the pastor of that city, began a revolution. In effect, those Christians were saying that if you arrest our pastor, You'll have to arrest the rest of us as well, and we will stand in solidarity with him. That act of civil disobedience led to a spiraling of events, which eventually led the army of Romania to execute that evil dictator. But that was not the design of the Christians who surrounded that church. Christians do not seek the overthrow of nations or of regimes. You know, governments should not fear Christians when our numbers increase dramatically. It is our basic impulse to obey. We only disobey when we're forced to say we must obey God rather than man. But I'm continuing our study in Romans 13, 1-7, so let's reread that passage. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed." Yesterday, I began an analysis of this passage, and I never got beyond verse 1. I said then, and I must repeat it now, the command to submit to the governing authorities is a universal command, but it is a limited command. Christians seek to submit and will do so up until the point when the government asks us to violate our faith. At such a time, we will obey God rather than man, even if it costs us our lives but we are not revolutionaries. Our goals are consumed by the goals of our faith, the spread of the gospel. And even if the gospel should so spread as, as to win a very great company of believers in any given nation, 
we do not seek the overthrow of that nation. We seek to influence the nation, but not to overthrow it. Our calling is to submit wherever we can. But then why does Paul give this command to to submit to governing authorities? So please notice in this passage, Paul gives us four reasons for obeying this command. And the first reason is that God has put governments into power. That's according to the purposes of his sovereign will. Look again at verses 1b to verse 2. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, it's here that many of us stumble. I mean, how can that be? I mean, certainly it can't be true for evil governments, can it? But just so we don't misunderstand the text, look again at the first part of verse 1, that is verse 1a. Let every person, that is every person, be in submission to the authorities. That is, in his sovereignty, God removes governments and also puts them in at his will. Well, does that mean that governments, therefore, are all doing what God wants? Well, the answer to that question can be both no and yes. Let me give you a biblical example, and it comes to us from that tiny little Old Testament book, the book of Habakkuk. You know, the book begins as the horrified prophet is told that that God is raising up the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem. And because Habakkuk is a prophet, he's more than aware of the wickedness that has now become a part of both the national life of Israel and of the private citizens of the Israelite people. The time for God's judgment is at hand. And Habakkuk has no quarrels with this. He knows that God is being just. But what sticks in Habakkuk's consciousness is that God says he's raising up the Babylonians to do this. And as I said, the prophet is horrified. These Babylonians are more wicked than the people of Jerusalem. You know, I I commend the book of Habakkuk to you because God answers the prophet's complaint. But without getting into the answer, here's the point I wish to make. It is God who has raised up the Babylonians. The reason they have become the powerful nation they are is because of God's design. So let's consider another example to this same principle. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Rome is cruel, it's heartless, and it's an oppressor of countless individuals. Now Rome will crucify the Lord of glory and hang him on a cross. And in order to emphasize that point, Pilate tells Jesus, don't you know that I have authority over you to release you or to crucify you? And you remember Jesus' response. It's found in in John 19, verse 11. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. You see, in the end, Pilate did the will of God even while he wasn't trying to. And even though I can't always understand this, I do know that even now, God is governing this world. He is setting up and deposing powers at his will for the purpose of his glory and the good of his saints. How thankful then we should be when we live you know, in a country like ours. I mean, up until now, our government has worked to protect the rights of Christians and the church. We may disagree with some laws, but very few people in the world have lived with such a protection of basic rights as we now have. If God put this government in power, I stand in awe of him and say, thank you for this mercy. So that's the first reason we need to submit to government. 
Whatever government exists, it is put into place by God in order to fulfill his wider purposes directed by his infinite wisdom. Well, we said there are four reasons for believers to submit to government. The first was God's sovereignty. Now second, we are told that resisting government is resisting God. Look again at verses 3 to 4a. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Now, from this verse, we begin to learn the purpose for government. They do the work of God. It's God's will that human beings live under authority. It's God's will that people be punished for wickedness and that people are rewarded for righteousness. And God has appointed government to enforce those basic principles. Well, notice at the beginning of verse 4, Paul uses the word servant. The word there is deacon. Yeah, it's the same word that we use for those in church office who serve but it's also used of government officials. See, in a sense, we can say that those who serve in the church are serving the cause of the gospel, and those who serve as politicians and civil servants and magistrates and police officers and so forth are God's servants as well. We're speaking here of something called common grace, in which God provides governance and order to all people regardless of their commitment to God or their sense of right and wrong. It's God's will that all people should live with this sense so that he appoints his servants to reinforce the idea of right and wrong in all areas of life. So to resist here is to resist God, who insists on righteousness. God is not pleased with anarchy. So let's review. God appoints all governments. Governments function to restrain evil. And now the third reason God appoints governments. Governments exist to actively and immediately restrain evil and evildoers. Look at the last part of verse 4. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, in the previous verse, we'd already been told that the purpose of government is to bring terror to bad conduct. But now in this verse, we are told that one of the exercises of government is to bear the sword. More to come. As Christmas is upon us, my thoughts of the Holy Land are magnified. I begin to reflect upon the stories of Jesus' birth, life, sacrifice, and ultimate glorification more closely. And in so doing, my anticipation of the upcoming 2022 Israel experience grows. There we walk the paths and places that bring the stories of the Bible to life. As time draws close, we invite you to join us for this adventure April 24th to May 2nd, 2022, with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, musical guest Laura Hastings, and the Back to the Bible Canada team. The full itinerary is available online, but space is limited, and we're nearing capacity, so register soon. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca slash events. I remember a number of years ago, I had dealings with a young man who was severely disturbed. He could quote scripture at length and he was destructive and he often threatened people. 
And no matter who, be they pastors or elders or anyone else who attempted to minister to this young man or show him kindness or even reason with him, nobody could get through to him. And finally, during a funeral, he stepped onto the stage and he pushed the pastor aside and he started ridiculing the deceased. Well, a scuffle ensued during the service to restrain him and finally the police were brought in. And when the police came, he tried to resist, but they immediately put him on the ground and put handcuffs on him and locked him in the back of the police cruiser. You know, unlike our elders, they never tried to reason with him. They came with the power of the sword. He spent the night in prison and the next day he was threatened that if he ever set foot on our property again, the police would immediately charge him under the law. Well, that young man was intimidated and he never came back. I was reminded of reading a book years ago entitled People of the Lie. In it, the author made a statement that I'll never forget. He said, evil understands only one voice and that is the voice of authority. Not the voice of love or reason or care, but authority. You know, the book of Proverbs seems to say the same thing. It speaks of reasoning with the wise man. It speaks of pleading with the gullible man. But what is to be done with fools? What is to be done with those who are evil and who want no part of those devices? Well, Proverbs 26 verse 3 says, A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. And the government is just such a rod. I remember some years ago being invited to a ride-along with a police officer. That night, he jailed a man who was trying to kill his wife. Indeed, the officer tackled him, and I watched him disarm the man. That night, he intervened in a party, which had resulted in blood all over the floor of a home. And that night, he arrested two men in a drive-by shooting. When these things happen, you don't send an evangelist or a preacher. You send a man who, according to Paul, bears the sword. It is the will of God that government not only make laws, but enforce laws with the power of life and death. You know, whenever we say, well, all the government is is full of criminals, well, we do well to watch our tongues. How dare we speak in such a disdainful manner of the one appointed by God to be a servant? Let me remind each of us of our theology. Every single human being is dead in sin, and left to our own devices, we would wantonly do whatever it took to get what we wanted. That's not to say that governments themselves are free from sin. They are not. And we know that there are governments that have lost all sense of restraint. God will deal with them in due course. Read the Old Testament prophets, for God makes it plain that when a government has completed its purpose, God will judge it. But that's not the task of believers. So let's repeat. Through God's sovereign design, he uses governments to restrain evil. Without both their providing for the necessities of life and their restraint of evil through the sheer use of force and the power to inflict death through a police revolver, no one in our country would be safe. And we Christians know that. And by the way, whenever I hear of the death of a police officer, my heart sinks. Nothing ought to impact believers like that. So too also the one who would threaten a politician. Christians think that this is an evil act. So let's review again. First, God puts governments into power. Second, God gives governments the command to establish rules of righteousness. Third, God puts the sword, weapons of vengeance, into the hands of government. 
Now, fourth, governments exist to punish evil. Look again at the last half of verse 4. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. See, I want to remind you of the previous section of Scripture, that of Romans 12, 19 to 20. There we were told that we were not to avenge wrongdoing, but leave the matter to God. On the contrary, we were to feed our enemy and to give our enemy something to drink. But here in the end of verse 4, we find that governments are not to act as individuals should. The church seeks to forgive enemies. Governments exist to enforce laws. It was Martin Luther who said that in consequence of this, Christians are actually the citizens of two kingdoms. As citizens of God's kingdom, we are to provide mercy to all. See, I'm reminded of the many Christian ministries that have brought love and healing to men and women in prison. Some of these people might have been drug dealers and murderers and rapists and and people who have done untold harm. But regardless of their past, it is the role of believers and of the church to show mercy and healing and forgiveness and grace and to provide evidence that this is found in the glorious gospel of Jesus. That's the glory of the church. But that doesn't mean that we believe that the government should stop locking these people up. The government plays a very different role from the role that God calls for his church to play. And from my perspective, this is essential, that God's people understand the unique roles that church and government play. Woe to the church who thinks it should be involved in politics and in governing the land. That ends in disaster. It's happened in history, and to this day, we call that point in history the Dark Ages. For in those days, the church tortured people to get them to comply with the law. And might I add, Who was then left to bring mercy and reconciliation in healing? But woe to the government that thinks it should play the role of the church. For when they do, the government then favors one theology over the other. Rather than balancing the rights of people, the government then thinks that it is the church and prefers one group over another and becomes a persecutor. I could say so much more about that, for I believe that we have in this country a government that sometimes does pretend to be the church and a church that sometimes becomes overly political. But I don't want to be distracted. Let's remember that God has ordained that the state should play a very distinct role. But now then, let's get practical and make some application to our individual lives. If we submit to government outside of not murdering others and breaking into cars and stealing them, I mean, how else do we practice submission? Well, let me suggest three practical ways to keep this command. First, bind your conscience to obeying your government wherever your redeemed conscience will allow. Verse 5 says, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Government should always know that we are actively looking for ways of obeying. Even when we don't like laws, If they don't violate Scripture, we obey. You know, the avoiding of wrath has to do with a punishment that comes from disobeying the law. But now Paul appeals to conscience. As children of God, we're indwelt by the Spirit. We also have Scripture. And the Bible and the Spirit testify to our conscience that we should do everything we can to be good citizens. Second, we are required to pay all forms of taxation. 
Verse 6 says, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. So let's be clear. Our government has provided for tax exemptions which are legal and, and we should use them. But Christian people never lie on their tax returns. Even when we think the taxes are too high, we may lobby to get them changed, but we pay our taxes. We don't fail to report all sources of income on our yearly tax forms, and we don't lie when we cross the border and report expenditures in a foreign country. We pay our fair share of taxes knowing that our taxes go to roads and schools and health care and policing and proper functioning of government and a number of other civic advantages. When a wealthy individual was heard to say, you know, smart people don't pay taxes, well, the Christian response is, obedient Christians do. It's one of the ways we bless our land. That's not to say that we shouldn't lobby our government for greater accountability and so forth, but we do obey the law. Now to the last section, verse 7. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You know, with that, I want to end simply by quoting Paul's instructions to Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Let's do those things to the glory of God. John, in your message today, it kept coming up in my mind, you know, sometimes God is asking us to do things we just would rather not do, like pay taxes. And yet, we're supposed to be obedient. Yeah, we are supposed to pay our taxes. And as I said, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't use legal loopholes that allow us to claim exemptions, and we ought to do that as much as we can. I have no problem with that. Uh, However, Uh, It is very important that in relationship to our government, we are not deceivers, and it's so important. And Ben, I just made a little mention of even going across the border and how easy it is to say nothing to declare when there is something to declare. So in every form of taxation, the Bible is actually quite clear on that. Pay them. God wants us to. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us here again tomorrow at Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. For many reasons, this has been a challenging year, but a year where God has once again proven himself faithful in providing for the needs of this ministry and have allowed Back to the Bible Canada to not only sustain our Bible teaching and engagement efforts, but to expand those efforts through new mediums and into new locations across Canada and in fact around the world. Your faithfulness has made this ministry possible. And our prayer is that you will continue to stand with us in support of this ministry for 2022. Your financial gifts are more than kindness. They are a participation in seeding God's word and a trust in kingdom work. The ministry target this year is to raise $490,000 during the month of December. This is a significant goal, but a necessary one. So please join us in this effort by sending your year-end gift by midnight of December 31st. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
www.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca